just by way of a quick recap and reminder of where we've been, where we're coming from in this series. We're walking through the promises of God in the scripture. Every time that God says, I will, he means it. And he will get it done. He's binding himself to you and I through these promises. The unlimited God is choosing to limit himself by saying, I'm going to do this. His promises are binding and they're always true. We've walked through the Old Testament promises, through the covenants. And now in this sub-series, we're looking at the book of Revelation. And chapters 2 and 3 are letters to seven churches in Asia about God's promise speaking into them in their situations. Um, to be honest, let's, let's start off a place of honesty. Revelation is hard to read. Uh, it's hard to preach. And it's intimidating sometimes to read and intimidating to preach. Um, but in the midst of all the, the imagery, the metaphorical pictures, uh, the cosmic battles, the main point of Revelation that I want us to keep in mind as we talk through these couple chapters is that Jesus is coming and Jesus wins. If there's anything I want you to remember about Revelation, it's that Jesus is coming and Jesus wins. Let's let that be the first thing that comes to our mind when we think of this book. But in light of that, Jesus, the Lord, is speaking into the situation of these churches in Asia. He's, he's got a cosmic perspective on uh, his coming and his victory, yet he's speaking into their particular situations, just as he does into yours. Here in chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Jesus is speaking to the church in Smyrna. Um, and this is a church that he doesn't give a rebuke to, like other churches. Most of these other letters, there's some rebuke in it. But here, to this church, they're suffering. They're under tribulation. They're being persecuted. And many of them are going to die. And Jesus speaks into that situation, calling them to faithfulness, into their ugly and unhappy situation. And so he reminds us here of the difference between happy news and good news. That's a crucial distinction that we have to draw as Christians and to know that, there, that happy news does not always equal good news and vice versa. I'm reminded of this when I attend a funeral uh, of a saint, of a Christian who was faithful and, and died and passed on into eternity. Because we come to a funeral, and in our Anglican liturgy, a funeral service is actually a service of resurrection. It's an Easter service proclaiming what Christ has done, making the way for us to have eternal life. So it's filled with hope and it's filled with promise. Yet in the midst of that, they're still grieving. They're still lost. There's pain. There are tears. It's not a happy occasion, but it's good. It's not happy news, but it's good news. So, in, in the midst of this letter to the church in Smyrna, uh, he, the Lord is speaking to those who are being persecuted, and some are about to die. And so, I, I think we need to talk about death. Uh, I don't want to be overly morbid here, but it's important for us as Christians to be the people who are most open in talking about death, because we are the only ones with hope about death. 
And so we need to discuss what death is what, and how we prepare ourselves for it. What do the promises of God mean in the midst of our suffering and as we come to face death? This pandemic that we're in has brought the reality of death closer to our collective conscience. It's not a far-off reality that some of us might die in this season. And it's hard for us to process that sometimes. It's hard for us to process the scale. Here in the U.S., as of this morning, there have been 142,000 deaths from COVID-19. And I, I don't know how to process that number. Uh, I don't know how to mourn that number. I don't know how to mourn the individuals that make up 142,000 deaths. But something about this situation has, has brought the reality of death uncomfortably close, that I can't escape it. In normal times, our, our modern comforts and luxuries often allow us to put thoughts of suffering and death off to the periphery, save them for another day, even though it happens to all of us. All of us suffer. All of us know pain. And all of us will die. But we're ashamed of it. We're afraid of it. We hide from it and prefer not to think about it. Uh, the truth of it is, and I don't want to be cavalier about what we're going through here, but we're probably experiencing something closer to the reality of what most of humanity experiences throughout history. Where, where death and suffering are actually a constant reality that's in front of us. Uh, in our modern world, we tend to be able to shove that aside and, and shove it under the rug underneath our comforts and luxuries and technology. But most of humanity has always had the reality of death close, too close for comfort. And this is uncomfortable for us. Uh, I don't care to be preaching on this. It's uncomfortable for me. But it, this season, this pandemic, forces us to face this reality head on. And this makes us think about eternal things. This should make us think about eternal things. There's a saying, famous saying that goes, there's no atheists in foxholes. Uh, and while I think that's overblown as kind of a mic drop moment in the arguments against atheists, there is some truth about the fact that when death is imminent, you think about bigger things. You think about what's important, what is eternal. It's, it's easier, frankly, to be a materialist or a nihilist or an atheist when life is comfortable, when it's easy. But when death is facing us, when death is closer than we're comfortable with, we have to figure out what does the good news of Jesus say to us about that? And why do we have a unique hope that the rest of the world doesn't have? Hebrews 2 says that one of the main things that Jesus has done for us is that he has freed us from the slavery to the fear of death. 
He's freed us from the slavery to the fear of death because he has conquered, because he has died and came to life, that he has won the victory over death and sin. We no longer need to fear this. We no longer need to be enslaved to that fear. This is freedom for the Christian. This is good news in the midst of unhappy situations. So I want to look with you at how Jesus expresses this good news to the church in Smyrna. Revelation 2, starting at verse 8. Jesus begins with a glorious self-identification. Here's who's speaking. Pay attention. This is important because it's coming from this person who's speaking He says, the words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. Each of the letters, each of the seven letters in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation start off with this self-identification from the Lord Jesus. And they're all actually hearkening back to the vision that John had in chapter 1. Where John saw this glorious vision of one like a son of man. His hair was like snow. His eyes were fire. His feet were bronze. He had a sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth. It's this strange and glorious vision that John has of the Lord Jesus. And if we read in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1, Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So when Jesus says in chapter 2, verse 8, to the church in Smyrna, I am the first and the last who died and came to life. He's hearkening back to that vision in chapter 1. So he's the first and the last. He's the eternal one. He's unlimited. The one through whom all things came together and the one who will bring all of history to its end. He's the one who died and who came to life. That he came into history. He died and was resurrected. And this changed everything. He's now the conquering king, the risen savior who lives and reigns forever. And he's saying this at the beginning of this letter, saying, this is who I am, and here's why it's going to matter for you and to your situation. These attributes of the risen Lord Jesus, who's glorified, are going to matter to what he's about to say to the church in Smyrna. And what does this one say? I know. We'll pause there. I know. Jesus knows what they're going through. Jesus knows what they are enduring. And this knowing is not an intellectual awareness. It's not an objective fact. I know that something is going on over there. But Jesus says, I know. This is an intimate knowing. This biblical word, know, is more intimate than we're used to in our Western culture where we make it more intellectual. Sometimes the word know in the Bible is used so intimately that it's a euphemism for sex. So-and-so knew his wife, so-and-so. But Jesus knows their sufferings. He knows their tribulation, their poverty, the slander against them. Jesus knows your sufferings. He knows your struggles, your anxieties, your fears. He knows them. 
Not just that he's aware of them, but he's in it with you. He's in the mess, and he feels it with us. He's been through it all before. He's been through the whole gamut of the human experience of suffering and and fear and anxiety. He's been through it all, and he's not leaving your side. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Jesus knows. So when we're going through suffering or any kind of struggle or anxiety, that has to be the starting point for us, that Jesus knows what you are going through. And he's with you in it. When we come to suffering, we tend to want to ask why. Why is this happening? Why would a good God allow this to happen to supposedly good people? This is the wrong question. When we come to suffering, first, we need to know that Jesus knows. Above all else, know that Jesus knows what you're going through, and he's with you in it. And secondly, he wants us to be asking what? Not why, but what? What does God want to do in the midst of this? What is God working on in me? In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples go up to a man who's born blind, and the disciples say, Lord, who sinned, this man or his his parents, that he was born blind? They're asking, why did this happen? But Jesus says, no, that's the wrong question. This did not happen because of anyone's sin. This happened so that the glory of God could be revealed here, that the works of God could be displayed in your midst. So the question is not why is this happening. The question is how are the works of God going to be displayed in this? What does God want to do to reveal his glory in me and in this situation? So in our sufferings, we start with the fact that Jesus knows what you're going through. And we need to be asking what does he want to do in you? or through you, to show his glory. Jesus goes on to the church in Smyrna in verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. He's just acknowledged that they have been suffering. They have been under tribulation and persecution. And they're about to experience more. He's telling them this future prediction that's coming. You're about to suffer more. More is coming. But do not fear it. The devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. So Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. The devil is going to do this to you, to test you, to push you to your limits, to to test your faithfulness. And notice how it's the devil who does this. That the devil who's prowling around looking for people to devour, looking for ways to undermine you and to pull you away from Jesus Christ and to pull you down into hell. He is active and working and trying to test you and to bring you into suffering that will test you past your limits. But this is under the sovereignty of God because Jesus knows it's going to happen. Jesus is telling them this is going to happen and what the devil is going to do. And there's a grace to this. 
That he's saying, here's what's coming, and there's going to be a time limit on it. Ten days you will have tribulation, he says. And then after ten days, they're going to be released and go back to happy ever after. Uh, No. Be faithful unto death, Jesus says. This tribulation, these ten days, for some of the Smyrnans are going to end in death. Martyrdom. They're going to give it all for the sake of the gospel. Martyrdom, to be a martyr, is the Greek word to bear witness. To bear witness, because martyrdom is a witness that's saying, I love Christ more than I love my own life. I'm so committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's worth everything I have. Now, not many of us will experience this kind of physical martyrdom. I actually pray that some of us will. Because what else glorifies Christ as much as this? What else is a greater witness to the world than this? To say, I love Christ more than I love my own life. All of us, though, are called to a kind of daily martyrdom, laying down our lives and picking up our cross and saying, I love Christ more than I love my own life, my own agenda, my own plans and goals and hopes and all my idols. The gospel is worth it all. All of us are called to a daily martyrdom that bears witness to the fact that the gospel is of greatest importance that Jesus Christ must be glorified above all else the Smyrna Christians many of them are about to undergo this they're about to die and what does Jesus say be faithful be faithful that is all that Jesus asks of you and me be faithful even unto death. And he enables you and I to do that because he has been faithful unto death. So as he encourages us, as he calls us on, he's been there before. He's gone ahead of us to be faithful unto death and be raised to life. Be faithful. That's it. That's all that Christ asks of you. So what does faithfulness look like when you are suffering? First, we trust that he knows our sufferings. We trust that he's with us. We trust that he's sovereign. We rest in that. And we also keep our eyes on the prize that's in front of us. Knowing that, as 2 Corinthians says, these light and momentary afflictions are simply preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that we will receive, that crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, the Lord Jesus says. He himself will place that on your head, the crown of victory and glory and honor that's life itself. This crown, it it belongs to Jesus. He won it. It's his, and he gives it to you. The victory, the crown that he won was for when he conquered death and rose to eternal life, glorious life, that he had the victory. 
And he wants to give that to you, to put that on your head as he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And we need to remember that this crown is not ours. It's Jesus's. He won it. He won the victory because, remember, he died and came back to life. He has won the victory over death. He has conquered. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus has won this for us, and he wants to give it to you. And he says, be faithful. Endure. Hold fast to this hope. Closes in verse 11 by saying, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The second death is the, uh, the lake of fire that's prophesied in Revelation 20, the eternal punishment and suffering that will come to those who ultimately reject Jesus. And that lake of fire, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to comprehend, but I've got to believe that our suffering now will be as nothing compared to that. So the Lord speaks to these Christians in Smyrna who are about to die and who are suffering. It's not a happy situation. Many of us in this season are struggling in various ways. Many of us suffering in various ways. Some of us might die in this season. All of us will die at some point, whether it's in 10 days or 50 years, all of us will come to death. And I want to say that it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid of this. It's the most human uh, emotion that we can experience. It's part of being human to be afraid. But Jesus does not want you to be enslaved to that fear. Jesus does not want that you would be bound and held captive by the fear of death that you could not escape from. Jesus wants freedom for you. And he equips you with everything that you need to be freed from that fear, to face death and suffering and anxiety, not with fear, but with hope and confidence. This is not necessarily happy news, but it's good news. A little over two years ago, Billy Graham died. Um, One of the most famous Christians in all of American history. uh, Evangelist who reached millions of people with his crusades and with his ministry. And when he died, uh, a quote of his went viral around the internet. And apparently he stole it from somewhere else. But... uh, It was a great quote where he said at one point, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. And that's where he is. That's where many of our loved ones are at this point. That they've passed on into more life. We pass through death to even greater life, just as Jesus himself has passed through death to be raised to glory. So will we, because he paved the way. 
Whether it's in 10 days or in 50 years, death will happen. And I want to ask you, are you ready for it? Do you have this hope of eternal life? Are you able to be faithful to the end? If not, I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. And I want to proclaim to you the gospel of the one who died and who came to life and who breaks the bonds of slavery to the fear of death. And I want to preach that to you. I want to speak it to you and that it matters for you. Jesus wants to equip all of us to conquer with him, to overcome and to win that victory, not to avoid suffering, but to endure with faithfulness. Be faithful to the end, unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, he says to you. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for this good news. And in the midst of suffering and in the midst of anxieties, in the midst of a really difficult season for many of us, no matter what we're going through, you know and you're with us and you point us to everlasting glory. For some who are, who are here and who are watching this, there is a real fear of death. Maybe it feels a lot closer than we're comfortable with. For others who are struggling with things they might call more menial or, or less significant, all of it is, at some point, the fear of death. Lord, we pray that you would invite us graciously again into that freedom that you've won for us and to receive from your hand that crown of life. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.